Lord, we thank you so much. And we come expecting to hear from you this morning. Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace. We thank you, Father God, for the lives that are going to be changed this morning. We thank you for making a difference in our lives. We thank you, Father God, that your message will go forth with power, unhindered. Father, we pray that you meet every need this morning. Father, I pray that you'll open up our eyes and our minds with revelation, understanding. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your word will be so powerful, Father God. It will transform our lives, our thinking, in every other area of our lives. Father, we come expecting, Lord God, and we thank you for not disappointing. And Lord, I submit myself to you, Father, and to be used as a vessel of honor for your glory. And Father, we thank you for what you're about to do. We thank you for your glory and for your presence in this room. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles with you, will you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10? And while you're turning there, I want to share a little story with you. There's a famous World War II general. Most of you probably have heard of him. General Douglas MacArthur. How many have heard of him? Very well-known general. And the story goes that he was about to meet his enemy, the Japanese general, the general of the Japanese army. And it was at a time when Japan had surrendered to the U.S. forces. And the meeting was to be set up for the purpose of the Japanese general to officially surrender. And on the day when both generals met, the Japanese general held out his hand to shake General MacArthur's hand. And General MacArthur said these words. He says, I cannot shake your hand, sir, until you first surrender your sword. In other words, what he was basically saying was, we cannot be friends as long as you're carrying that sword at your side. Give up your sword, and then we can shake hands. Now, I say this to make this point, because there are many Christians who want to shake God's hands while still carrying their sword on their side. Their sword meaning their will. If we give up our will, if we surrender our will, then and only then can we enter into a more personal, more complete relationship and fellowship with God. Amen? Amen. And so tonight, or this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of surrendering. Not necessarily a very exciting topic, but a topic that is necessary. So when we talk about surrender, what exactly are we talking about? The literal term surrender actually means to give up something to another. It also means to relinquish something that was granted you, like your possessions, your plans, your goals, even your life. It is about relinquishing all control, all rights, all plans, all goals, all authority. Basically, it's about totally resigning your life into the hands of God so that he can do with you as he pleases. That's what it means to surrender. So if you're in Mark chapter 10, let's look at beginning in verse 17. Very well-known passage of scripture of the rich young ruler, one of my favorite stories. And he goes on to say this in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, he meaning Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And then Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Not, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not be afraid. Or do not defraud. I'm sorry. Honor your father and mother. And he said, Master, I've kept all of these things from my youth up. And then Jesus, looking at him, felt love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But at these words, he was very saddened and he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. What we see here is Jesus testing the heart of the rich young ruler. In an area that he was weakest the most. The one thing that kept him from obtaining eternal life. And it's interesting that Jesus would look at this young man who was considered to be wealthy. And of course when you're wealthy there's power. Where there's power there's influence. So I'm sure that this man was very influential and important in his community. In other words he had it all together. But yet Jesus saw that this man who had it all was still lacking in his life. Which tells me that we may have it all together on the outside, but that doesn't mean that we have it all together on the inside. God is not concerned about how you're doing externally. He is more concerned about what you're doing internally. Amen. Would you agree with that? But as we read this story, we find that this story ends very sadly and very tragically. Because this man was not willing to put Christ before and above his wealth, his possession. This ruler was called upon to make a choice. Whether he was to love Christ or the world. Whether he was to serve God or serve mammon. He says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you shall have riches in heaven. What this challenge did was expose a barrier in his life that's preventing him from moving on and, give, and receiving all that God has. The irony of all this was this was a man that claimed to have kept all of the commandments, but yet he failed to, to, uh, to keep the very first and most important commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. In other words, to let nothing be more important than God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. So we can see, and it's pretty apparent, that this young man, as sincere as he was, didn't quite love God as he thought he did. Because you see, his wealth was his God. His possession was his idol. The one thing that this man sought after from Jesus, this eternal life, for him, was too much of a price to pay. That, to me, is a very tragic thing. 
When you can think that your wealth, your possessions, your plans, your goals is far more important than what God has to offer you. So this leads us to question. What areas of your life are you lacking? Let's not all talk at once now. (laughs) But it's a very important question for us to ask. One of the things that I find in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, as we travel this Jesus journey, somewhere, somehow, God is going to require something of you. And in most cases, it's going to be something that you consider to be important, significant, personal, something of value to you, something that is meaningful to you, something that is necessary. But God is not going to come into your life and begin to start snatching things from your life just to make you miserable. God wants to require something of you simply because he sees that this something that you consider important, significant, meaningful, necessary, has you. That the things that you consider that you love most is more important than God. And God simply wants to remove that from you. Because God does not want anything to be more important to him in your life. Something in your life is causing this blockage that is preventing God from giving his very best to you. Some of you are waiting to hear from God, but you've become dull of hearing because of this barrier that's preventing God to come in and speak into your life. Because it is one thing. Or it could be several things. It could be a sinful activity and it may not be anything that is sinful. Perhaps God is trying to give you some instruction or some clear direction in your life. But you can't receive clarity because this barrier is blocking God from coming in and beginning to show you what he wants to show you. Perhaps God wants to strengthen you in area in your life. But he can't simply because there's something that's blocking the way. How tragic is it to be possessed with the possession and miss out on God's opportunity? There's something that God wants to do in us. And one of the greatest things about God is that he wants to fill you with himself. But it's very hard for him to fill himself or fill you with himself If you're full of something else, if there's something that's blocking the way, imagine having a glass and then all of a sudden you have this craving for cranberry juice. I don't know why I chose cranberry juice, but I guess I have a craving for cranberry juice and you desire cranberry juice. And so a guy comes along with a pitcher of cranberry juice, nice, cold and icy and tasty juice. And you hold out your glass so he can pour that glass of cranberry juice into your glass. Only to find out he cannot pour it because there's something in the glass already. The glass is already filled with something else. And in order for you to fill that glass with what you desire, you've got to empty that out first before you can fill that glass with what you desire. And you see, there's some of us who are in that place right now. God wants to pour something in you, but it's filled with something that needs to be emptied out. 
Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19, Paul's prayer was this. That God fills us with all of his fullness. Hallelujah. Imagine this. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2. But imagine this. Because God desires to fill himself or fill us with himself. We have to first be an empty vessel. In other words, whatever that's in there that's blocking what God wants to do and what God wants to fill in us has to be emptied out. So imagine this. Imagine you walking around being filled with El Shaddai. The God that is more than enough. Imagine yourself walking around filled with Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Imagine yourself, just imagine yourself walking around filled with Jehovah Rapha, the healer. Imagine yourself walking around filled with Jehovah Ra, my shepherd. Or Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Just imagine Yourself walking around filled with the fullness of God. The all-sufficient one. That's what God desires for us. But oh, 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 that one thing. That one thing that is preventing God from filling you with himself. What could that be? So I believe that this morning God is challenging some of you. God is perhaps maybe revealing things to you. And this is what I've learned. When I read, when we just read uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 17 about the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler was going around, I, 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 I keep all the commandments, I do all the things, and I desire eternal life. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, loved him and exposed him. See, I believe that Jesus loves us so much that he does not want us to remain where we are. So it's important that he exposes these things in your life, not to condemn you, but to simply remove that from out of your life so that he can fill himself or fill you with himself. So it's okay if God is revealing something to you. Don't feel condemned about that, but rejoice because God wants to do something. And I believe God is about to do something right now. Amen. Colossians chapter 2. Look at what it says. And I'm going to read this from the NIV. Verse 9. For in him all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. And in verse 10 it says, And you have been given, say, I have been given, given. the fullness in Christ who is the head. No, I just wanted you to to repeat that one part. Okay, Okay, let's follow instructions here. Let's do this again. That the fullness or the deity lives in the bodily form. And I have been been. given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Now let me read verse 10 in the Amplified Version. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead. Father, Son, Son. And the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So you can walk around with the fullness of God. You can walk around with the the God that is more than enough. You can walk around filled with Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Because that's his desire for you. There's nothing more powerful than a surrendered life in the hands of God. Amen. 
Go with me to, I'll do that later. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul is a good example of someone who got a hold of this and understood the concept of surrender. Philippians chapter 3. Glory to God. Beginning in verse 5, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says this. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. You can sense the pride there. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Verse 6. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them as worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8 says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul was a man who had it all. He was important in his community. He was a member of the Pharisees, very well respected. People looked up to him. He had a lot of power and authority. Not to mention the fact that he also had a sense of self-righteousness. But when he got a hold of Jesus, or I should say when Jesus got a hold of him, when he had his encounter with Jesus, at that moment he realized that everything that he once was, everything that he once represented, everything that he once had was worthless when compared to what Jesus provided. Every one of us had our own encounter with the Lord. And so we should have that same attitude that Paul has, that nothing else matters but Christ. Everything else is considered what Paul would say as garbage. Now, it's very hard to think of what you consider to be important and what you consider to be significant or meaningful as garbage. But when it comes before Christ, when it comes before and above what God has and what God wants for you, what do you think God sees that? It's not that God doesn't care about the things that you care about. God is only concerned about having possessions possessing you. And you understand that when we read the rich young ruler, he was a man who ended tragically because he refused to pay the price for eternal life. And here's the thing. The fact that he thought he can do something or earn his way to gain eternal life, he was already wrong from the start. Because the price was already paid. Let me just say this. God holds the receipt in his hands. That receipt validates that a purchase has been made. And that receipt also tells us that the purchase is complete. And that receipt is the resurrection of Christ Jesus. That indicates that the price has been paid. And God has that receipt. And it's important that, you know, when you go out and purchase something, you always save the receipt in case something happens. 
Because number one, it proves that you pay for it. Well, Jesus, well, God has that receipt, but he never has to worry. Hallelujah. Having to take it back. Amen. So God wants something. God wants to do something in your life. But here's the thing. You have to determine what it is that's in your life that is blocking what God wants to do. You have to determine in your life that there's something that is preventing God from coming in and doing all that he needs to do in your life. To, to get that extra anointing in your life, to get that extra strength, to be able to hear from God clearly, to receive clarity of direction. You have to have that thing removed. And the only way to do that is by simply surrendering it to God. Let me say this. When you surrender your will, God has everything else. Whatever it is that you have, it belongs to him because you've surrendered it. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Go with me to Matthew chapter 26 and let's look at another example. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example. Matthew 26. This was a time when, Je uh, well, actually it was a critical time for Jesus because this was the time that his hour was about to come where he was to give his life. And the very, it was a very trying time for Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus, who understood that he was going to die, he knew what his destiny was going to be. He often spoke about his death throughout his ministry. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, you don't need to turn there. But it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and then be raised up on the third day. He also says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19, again, you don't have to turn there, but he says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. Even in Luke chapter 9, in verses 28 through 31, at the time when Jesus was transfigured, the Bible says in verse 30 that two men appeared, which was Moses and Elijah. And in verse 31 says, and they appeared in glorious splendor and talking with Jesus. Then you wonder, well, what could Jesus and Moses and Elijah be talking to each other in that time, in that moment? Well, Luke tells us that they were talking about his departure or his decease, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Now, isn't that interesting that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were speaking together in his transfiguration about his departure? I thought that was pretty interesting. But well, my point here is that Jesus already knew what he was about to face. He understood what the prophecy said about him. He understood the method of his death because of what the prophecy says. He understood the suffering that he was about to endure because of the prophecy that was said. And so now Jesus reached a point in his life where now that hour was come, has come for him to surrender. This is what I want you to see. Beginning in verse 36. Then came Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. Verse 37 says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is John and James. And listen to what he says. And began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Another translation says he was anguished and distressed. 
Then verse 38, he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Another translation says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. What I want you to see here is this. Jesus understood what he was about to face. Jesus says in John 6 and verse 38, I was sent from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father who sent me. But yet now he is at a point in his life where now he's about to surrender. But yet he struggled. Yes, we know that Jesus was divine, but he was also human. We know that Jesus had no sin, but yet he was tempted. We know that Jesus also was in the flesh. Which meant that he felt what you and I would have felt if we were facing this situation. He was anguished. He was filled with grief. He was crushed because of what he was about to face. I don't know about you, but I'd be crushed too if I knew I had to face that. But it's only showing the humanity of Jesus. Because when he saw what he was about to go through, it was almost like he was very reluctant about what he was about to encounter. You know, when we're faced with something difficult and we don't want to go through, there's some reluctance in us, wouldn't you say? All kinds of emotion is going on with us if we had to face something like he had to face. And then in his prayer, verse 39, he says, And he went a little further, further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed. This is what he prayed. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Let's stop there. Notice what he prayed. He was all feel, already feeling the pressure of what he was about to face. He understood what the Roman justice was like. He knew how Roman authority treated criminals. He understood that he was going to be treated like a criminal. So he was about to face the most horrific experience of his life. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, if there's any other way, please let this come pass by me. It's almost like Jesus came to a point, Lord, I, I can't go through this. I don't know if I can go through this. And the reason why I'm making this and, and emphasizing this is because of this. When God is requiring something of you, at times you're going to have some struggles. There will be times that in, in some cases it may even be painful for you. But whatever God is requiring of you, it's not always that easy to give up. There will be times when you're going to struggle. There will be times you're going to be reluctant. There's going to be times that even it's going to be painful. Try to separate yourself from the very thing that you love most. Whatever it is that God is requiring of you, listen, it's not easy. But if it wasn't easy for Jesus to go to what he went through, what makes you think it's going to be easy for us? Well, yeah, Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass by me. But at that moment, that's when he surrendered his will. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is just what Jesus did. In spite of the fear he was, he, was, he was feeling, in spite of the anguish, in spite of the sorrow, in spite of the fact that he felt crushed with grief because of about what he was about to face, all of those things that he felt, 
Yet he was able to put it all aside and place God's will before and above his feelings and his circumstances. That's what it means to surrender. No one said it was going to be easy. No one said it was going to be painless or painful. I mean, no, it, it will be painful. And you will struggle. Nevertheless, his will is far more important than my will. And so Jesus, after finished praying, he went back to check on his disciples, finding them sleeping. He scolded them and got on their case, and then he went away to pray a second time. This was his prayer the second time. Verse verse, uh, 42. He says, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. In other words, Lord, if there's no other way of doing this, then let your will be done. Notice how his prayer changed from not my will, but thy will be done. But now he's saying, Lord, if this is what it's going to take, then let it be done. So we see a progression here. We see Jesus changing his prayer. And in each prayer that he made, he was surrendering more of his will. And then the Bible says that he prayed a third time, praying the same prayer. At that point, he's already committed. He's already surrendered his life and about to face what he was about to endure. My friends, it's not going to be easy. But we have the Holy Ghost to help us in our time of need. Amen. And you know, sometimes we think that God doesn't understand what we feel. That sometimes God doesn't understand the pain that we struggle with. But God understands. He knows that. And even if, when he's requiring something of you that you know it's, you're gonna be, it's going to be hard for you to give up. He knows that too. But if you learn to trust him. Go with me to Matthew. or I mean, Let's go back to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. There was a time in my life. Early in my Christian walk, some of you may have heard this story before, but it bears repeating again. Early in my Christian walk, God had to do some serious purging in my life. And, you know, I mean, when you're, when you're just fresh out of the world, you know, there's a lot of stuff that God had to clean up. There were some things that God was, was deliver, would deliver me from miraculously. There were some that God, I was still waiting for the grace of God to come in my life to change that situation. And then there were certain things that God was requiring of me that I would not give up or let go. And so what I've learned is that, <clears throat> first of all, the reason why I didn't want to let it go was because it meant something to me. It was important to me. It was meaningful to me. It was something that I loved, something that I would not part with. And I was afraid to let it go because if I let it go, my thinking was that I was not going to ever see it again. That I was going to lose it forever. And that I was never ever going to get it back. That's what I had to struggle with. But I knew that it was something that God was requiring of me in order for me to move on and and continue on with what God wants to do in my life. And, And keep in mind too that God had done some wonderful work in my life, especially in the beginning of my my Christian walk. Because I had such a desire and hunger for God because I found the one thing that meant something to me. 
And he began to transform my life. But as I was going forth with God, there were some things that I needed to get out of my life and I wouldn't do it. Here's the grace of God. Because God understood my struggles. God would send laborers my way. Men who were seasoned in the word. Men who would come alongside of me to speak into my life, to encourage me, to pray for me. And of course, it took me a whole year to finally give things up. It took a little time. But this passage of scripture that I'm about to read helped me get through it. It helped me to see something. And what I also learned is that the longer you hold on to something that you think is important, that you think is significant, that you think is meaningful, that you love and you consider to be a great value, and you know it's something that God is requiring of you, the longer and tighter you hold on to it, the less you're going to enjoy it. The more miserable you're going to be. Now, I'm telling you this from my own personal experience because I was not a happy person. I was miserable. But I couldn't enjoy the very thing that I did not want to let go. And then one day I decided, okay, after hearing God's word and after reading this passage of scripture that we're about to read, then and then only did I find the courage to step out in faith and just trust God. Matthew chapter 10, going in verse 29. This is the story where the rich young ruler walked away sadly. And then Jesus says how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples heard that and were astonished and said, what? Then Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were astonished and said, say what? Because you see, a wealthy man in Jewish culture was considered a man that was blessed of God. And so the disciple was thinking, well, if a rich man who is blessed of God cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, then who can? And Jesus says, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter, good old Peter, said this in verse 28. Master, we have left everything and followed you. Matthew also says in the book of Matthew, Another version says, Lord, we left everything and followed you. What do we get in return? And in verse 29, this is what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, and oh, by the way, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, of course, you can't take this literally, because if you give up a house, God's not going to give you a hundred houses more. Wise, if you forsake your husband, God's not going to bless you with a hundred husbands. That wouldn't even be a blessing, but more of a curse. Just keep the husband that you have. But this passage of scripture has really helped me because the more I read it, the more I meditated upon it, the more I knew I had to do something. And I had to knew, I knew that the only way I can do this, the only way I can see that if God's word is true, if I just simply trusted him. 
what Jesus was simply saying is this. When you are willing to put Christ before and above all that you think is important to you, all that you think is that's significant to you, all that you think is valuable to you, all that you think that is meaningful and necessary, if you put Christ, if you are willing to put Christ before and above all those things, then what he says, he will give you a hundred times the value of what you've given up. Amen. He's going to give you or compensate you a hundred times more than what you've surrendered. And you see, when I began to realize this, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I've surrendered everything. I said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I can tell you from my personal experience, saints, God has done just that. He has blessed me with a hundred times more valuable, a hundred times more than what I gave up. What I thought I had was important until God showed me that there was far more important things that God wanted for you. You see, we think we know what's best for us, but God knows what's best for you. And if you learn to just trust him, if you learn to just simply trust him and believe that God has the best for you, then you watch to see what God does. And to this day, I'm still enjoying the fruits of that decision I made a hundred times over. Amen. Amen. And so that is what God is waiting for us to do. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. God wants to do his very best for you. God wants to do his very best in you. And God wants to do his very best through you. If you learn to trust him. Look at what 1 Timothy 4 says in verse 8. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness, or all things that pertain to God, is profitable unto all things. Having the promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. When we think about God requiring something of you, there was something that God wanted to require from Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter God challenging this morning? I said, is he challenging you this morning? Genesis chapter 22, beginning verse 1. It says this, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And get you into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee. Now, isn't it interesting that God, the one thing that God required of Abraham was the one thing that meant a lot to him. The one thing that he loved the most. 
his only son. The son that he waited for 20 years to receive. The son that came by way of miracle. And now God is saying, I want him. And Abraham, now it doesn't really say whether Abraham struggled with this. It doesn't say if, if Abraham went through any type of mental anguish about this. All we know is the next day, he packed up all of his things, got all of the materials that was needed, and got some people together to help him, and marched over to the mountain Moriah, or the place of Moriah. And if you skip down over to verse 8. No, I'm sorry, uh, verse 12. As he was about to plunge the knife in Isaac, an angel of the Lord called unto him and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. And verse 12 says, let not your hand, or lay not your hand upon this lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, God didn't really want his son. God, what, what he really wanted was Abraham. He wanted his heart. But God, it says that he tested Abraham to see how far he will go. He tested Abraham to see whether his son was his servant or whether his son was going to be his master. There are some times we need to realize the things that we love the most, the thing that we consider important. Is it your servant or is it your master? God found out very quickly that his son was not his master. But he was willing to give up his son. And what I love about God is what, he, is, is what he said. He said, because you did not withhold this, your only son. You did not withhold this from me. God wants to say the same thing to you. And in verse 15 it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. In verse 16 by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And verse 18 says, and your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed. My voice. My friends, whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever you think is important in your life, whatever it is that's more important, to God, more important than God, God is requiring that from you. And he wants to say these words to you. He wants to say, because you've not withheld this thing, the very thing that you love most. He wants to say, and I want to bless you. He says in Mark chapter 10, I want to bless you a hundred times more. I want to show you that there's something far more better, far greater than what you think you have. If we only learn to trust him. And I believe there are some of us here who are afraid to let go. Because you're afraid that you're never going to see it again. You're afraid that perhaps maybe you're not going to be able to enjoy it as much as you used to. But when you 
lay everything in God's hands, you're going to find, like I found out, that the thing that I thought I loved the most, I really didn't love. Because I found something that was far greater. Something that I loved more than what I thought I loved before. But it's all about you learning to trust him. And just dare to trust him. Believe that whatever God has for you is better than what you have. You just got to believe that. Now, I did say that this can be a struggle for some of you. Because some of you have something in your life that you've had for a long time. Something that you were used to. The rich young ruler had wealth. And wealth made him comfortable. That wealth gave him security. That wealth gave him a sense of importance. It gave him relevance. And it was because of that, he got so used to that, that he was not willing to let it go. Some of us are in the same place. We're unwilling to let it go because we've gotten used to it. We've gotten comfortable with it. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I want you to go with me in Philippians chapter 2. But I also want you to understand that God knows that it will be a struggle for you. God understands how painful it is to you to separate the very thing that he's requiring of you. Philippians chapter 2. But God always has a backup plan. Philippians chapter 2. Are you there? Verse 13 says this. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me read that to you from the message translation. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. The New Living Translation reads it like this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So it's not like God expects you to Surrender everything in your own power because he understands the attachment that you have to those things. But God is working in us and if we allow him to work in us to help us to be willing to do what he pleases. He promises that the work that, that he is in us and he's working in us. Matter of fact, Philippians 1.6 says that God is doing work in us. He begun a work in us and we'll continue to do that work until Christ comes. And so if we understand this, we have to believe that God is working in us even now as we speak. So that we can do all that pleases him and all that he's willing for us to do. So you're not going to do this on your own. But you're going to have to rely on his strength and his power that is in you today. So if you draw on that strength, if you draw on that power. 
He'll give you the desires. He'll give you the willingness to do exactly what he's asked you to do. Again, going back in my own life, I had to learn this. And as painful as it was, even as I separated myself from it, even when I made the decision to let it go, it was still painful. The pain still was there. I still kept looking behind me. I still kept wondering, maybe I made a mistake. But the further along I went with God, the more I continued to trust him, the easier it got. And the more I realized, wow, I could not believe that I loved that compared to this. And see, that's what God does. It's almost like he wants you to simply open up his, your eyes to show you all the wonderful and infinite things that he has for you. But because we're not willing to open up our eyes, we want to just take something and and hold on to it tightly and say, this is mine. You can't have it. This is mine. I I won't let it go. But that's what we are. That's how we are with, with things. And listen, again, there's nothing wrong with liking and loving and wanting something or considering something of value. It's just that when it rises above Christ, that's when we run into a problem. That's when we're in trouble. And when we recognize that, and again, because of his grace, God will show it to you and reveal it to you. And I believe there are some of you here that God's already spoken to before you even came here. There are some things that God's already been requiring of you, and years have already gone on, and you're still holding on to it. Can I ask you something? Are you any happier now? I want to challenge you. If there's something that God is requiring of you today, something that he's been speaking to you for a while, whether it's a sinful activity or whether it's not a sinful activity, whatever it is that's coming before God, God wants to remove it, but he's not going to come in and take it from you. He won't do that. But what he wants is for you to surrender to him in faith, trusting and believing that God has a much greater plan if we learn to take our eyes off of these things. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, it says that Jesus is the author and finish of our faith. He says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Even though he had struggled to surrender his life, even though he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, but yet he was able to put all those feelings aside to place Christ, a place God, God's will above his own. Because there was something that he saw, something that gave him strength, something that gave him faith, something that, gave, that, that made him say, I'm going to do this regardless of how painful it is for me. Because I saw that it would be far beneficial and it's going to be a benefit to many others if I do this. And see, we have to see that too. Whatever God is requiring of you, we've got to see that there's a joy set before us. We have to see that there's something far greater than what we think we have, than what we think is great. And if we learn to just say, for the joy that's set before him, I'm going to endure this cross. I'm going to endure this experience. I'm going to separate myself from these things. I want to let it go. It's not going to be my master anymore. I'm going to give it and surrender it to God. But it starts with surrendering your will because once he has your will, he has everything else. 
I want you to make this, make this declaration. I want you to say this. Lord, Lord I, am I am thine and all that I have. Lord. Say it again. Lord, Lord I, am I am thine and all that I have. Lord. Say it one more time. Lord, Lord all, I all I have and all... And what did I say? All... <laughs> You say it so many times, you forget. <laughs> Lord, I am thine and all that I have. Something like that. <laughs> Let's pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for your wonderful grace. We thank you, Father God, for speaking into our lives today. We thank you that our hearts are open. We thank you, Father God, for identifying the area in our life that we need to surrender. And Father, we thank you for the love that you have towards us to be willing to help us. Father, we thank you that it is in you, that is you that's in us to work in us so that we can do your will and to do all that pleases you. Father, we thank you right now that today... Father God, we surrender everything to you. Everything that we consider to be valuable, anything that is considered to be of meaning, anything that's considered to be important to us, Father, we release it right now into your hands. And Father, I thank you because you have the best for us. I thank you that you have our best interest at heart. I thank you, Father God, that your plans are far greater than our own plans. And Lord, we Lay our lives in your hands right now. Do as you please with us, Father God. And fill us with your love. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your glory. And make us to be everything you want us to be. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing today. Thank you for the work that's being done in everyone that is here in this room. Thank you for filling them with your glory and your presence today. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise for what you're about to do in their lives. Father, we declare this right now. We believe it in the name of Jesus that lives will be changed because we've surrendered everything to you. There is no longer any barriers or any hindrances in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you can come freely and openly whenever you like to do as you please with us. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.